welcome Redeemer Life. This is, um, this is a hard one to, um, you know, um, stop the conversations from happening and, and all that. I wish we could just go on and on and, and just talk to each other. We do have um, guests who are visiting with us and um, want to um, welcome you all. There is um, uh, pastors who have come, Pastor E.J. Ravago. E.J. is around here. Oh, there he is. You want to tell us a little bit about where you are? Uh, we meet at the American Legion Bridge in our church in Washington, D.C. Welcome. So we've got to do... Yes. Sorry? Yes. No, we want to come to the weekend. Yeah, they did? Yay! <laughs> well, I, we, I was also there at the Central Conference um, celebration. So welcome. Welcome to the Covenant Church and... We, sh- we should do stuff together. Yesterday, there was an amazing event where um, um, Dana and Bob uh, did this. Yes, let's give a hand. Um, it's creative worship. Um, um, you know, uh, we can dance because I think it's okay. Uh, we, we don't tell those Swedes. We just dance. I, I think that's okay. So, um, thank you. Thank you for doing that, Dana. That was amazing. I I know it was um, really cold and snowy, and it's Chicago. Sorry. Um, And then uh, Lynn and Jay are here as well. Pastor Jay, where are you? Tell us about your your church. Yay. Okay, we need to be praying for these new church plants, our sister congregations. A lot is happening, actually. A lot of um, churches of color, you know, Korean-American, Chinese-American covenant churches are being planted. And so um, we, we should be praying. We, 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 we say that we would pray for, for you all and and probably it's a, it's a good thing for us to pray right now. Also to thank God for uh, our efforts in mission overseas. And David, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, I think short-term missions are very important because they, we learn. We learn what God is doing through our sisters and brothers in Kenya, in um, Venezuela, in Colombia, um, I think every member of Redeemer Life should go on a short, short-term mission just to know what is going on and what is God doing. And it'll change your life. Believe me, you will not be the same again. And then maybe God will call you to long-term mission, but at least do um, one week, um, two weeks, something like that, um, just to be alongside our sisters and brothers who are working hard in places like Kenya and Venezuela, Colombia, uh, India. Um, I'm sure we can organize a lot of those kinds of things. So thank you for sharing with us, uh, David. Let, let me pray. Let me pray for, for you, for, for um, our new churches, uh, and then for the short-term mission. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for um, the Covenant Church. 
We want to thank you, Lord, for new churches that you are planting, for uh, these amazing um, sisters and brothers, our sisters and brothers, who have courageously taken um, the, the steps to plant churches in, in Gurney and in Jefferson Park. We thank you for our brother, uh, Pastor E.J., for uh, Pastor Jay, for, for their families. Uh, and we think about, I think about um, Pastor Peter Kim, who, who I met those many, many years ago and talked about this new church plant. Uh, and uh, thank you for the way in which uh, Redeemer Life has come through this journey of that small group of people meeting in a house and into Libertyville Covenant, into Trinity, and, and then now here. Lord, this is your doing. And we pray that our new churches, our new sister churches would, would grow amazingly, that people will come to know you, will find new life in you. Pray that you'd sustain pastors EJ and Jay and their families. And, and pray, Lord, that you would also uh, infuse in us a fresh desire to go. For you said, O oh Jesus... As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So enable us to go and to see your work, O oh Lord, in the work, in the world. There's so much going on in the world also, O oh Lord, where your children are hurting out there in Sri Lanka where um, we have this privilege of meeting and, and saying Christ is risen, uh, and yet they are not able to meet because of fears. Oh, Lord, sustain them. Lord, we pray for those in India and in Pakistan and in Afghanistan who are seeking to do your will and to be missionaries in the field that you have placed them in. Lord, sustain them, protect them. We pray for Vice Chancellor Lal as he suffers there in the jail. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would sustain him even now. May he know your presence. For those who are suffering in jails in Iran and Iraq and other parts of the world, oh, Lord, Help us to know how to stand beside our sisters and brothers. So bless us with your presence as we seek your mind through your word. Speak to us, O oh Lord, for we are here, willing to hear our ears open. In the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. That was so powerful. Thank you. And um, so you all, you all know that, you know, um, um, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's not just last week, you know. We had that Easter thing, and now let's get back to real life. So um, this is actually um, Eastern Sunday. The churches in the East celebrate today as the Easter Sunday. So uh, let's learn to say this. It's um, it's. Christos Voskreas, 
Christos Roskreas. And my brother Vladimir will say almost 99%. Right? <laughs> Can you say that? Christos Voskreas. Christos Voskreas. Yeah. Uh, that's Christos Anesti, Aletos Anesti. And in Malayalam, I don't know if you can. Can you say it in Malayalam? No? Oh, no. What's happened to our other representatives? Of, uh, isn't there a, a, a phrase in um, Orthodox churches? There must be. We'll learn it next week. We will learn it next week. Um, we are entering now, of course, into this session where um, we talked about the risen Christ last Sunday, and, and there were a lot of visitors that came. We, we talked about the, the scared group of people. You know, there's Mary who goes there, and the other Mary, and the other Mary who go there, and, and they're so so worried and they're so upset um, and that's okay it's okay to be worried and upset and to be bewildered because life is made up of perplexities and there's always dangers you know like it happened in Sri Lanka and like it, like it happened in so many other parts of the world which Thankfully, we don't experience, but, but you have um, people perplexed. There, there's a very interesting aspect that, that I would want us to, to, to read through. If, if you have your Bibles, there's a book in the Bible. It's called the book of Mark. It's, it's called the, the shortest of the Gospels. It's the, it's, um, it's the first Gospel, according to um, uh, scholars, that was written and the last chapter there is, um, is, is Mark chapter 16. And, and here's how these words read in Mark chapter 16. And then we'll go on to our text, which is John chapter 20. Uh, it talks about uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 1 reads like this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the Mary mother, the mother of James and Mary Salome and, and all those Marys that bring spices... And um, that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, verse 4, they saw that the stone was rolled away. It was very, very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they said, and they were amazed, and they said to the, he said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples, Peter, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
And that's how the Gospel of Mark ends. And you would say, what? I thought this was a gospel. It ends with the words that they were afraid. Just like our sisters and brothers in Sri Lanka, and just like David Young saw people in Kenya, and I've seen them all over the world, they were afraid. Is it okay to be afraid? I think the Bible is very clear that it's, it's fine. It's, it's okay to be afraid. If you and I are not afraid, and we just gloss over stuff that we go through and shove it under the rug, because unfortunately a lot of people say that to us, you know. Oh, you're a Christian. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you'll be fine. Just say praise the Lord a million times, and it'll, it's a mantra. You'll be okay. But it's okay to be afraid. Of course, there are, if you look at your Bibles, there is other verses that are added there from the Gospel of John, from the Gospel of Luke, uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. There's other verses added there, but the original text of the book of Mark ends right here. That they were afraid. They were afraid. That's okay. That's okay. That's where our reading begins today. And that's in John chapter 20. So would you arise with me and let's read this together. John chapter 20. Notice it begins with, Thank being afraid. The disciples are afraid. So let's read this together. John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So would you say that in Hebrew? It's Shalom Lachem. Can you say that in Hebrew, please? Shalom Lachem. Peace be upon you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And in Hebrew, Shalom Lachem. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And in Hebrew, Shalom Lachem. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So powerful. Let's say that again. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, 
Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Amen. Do be seated, please. In many senses, that is the thesis statement of the book of John. The very last verse that we read, uh, which comes in this part of the last part of the book of John. There's many, many things that Jesus did, many signs. And the word that's used there, semeon in Greek, is a translation of the Hebrew oat, which is a sign of God. Only God can do those things. Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded because Jesus did a lot of stuff. But these are recorded that you may believe. That word believe in Hebrew is the word amen. So when we say amen at the end of a prayer, that's what we mean. I believe because you are the believed one, O oh Lord, that you will do this. It doesn't mean, you know, some people say, so let it be and all those kinds of things. They, they should go to Trinity and learn some Hebrew and Greek because it is, it's, all about, it's about, I believe, O oh Lord, I believe. I believe that you may believe that just this Jesus is the Messiah. And not an ordinary Messiah, not an ordinary prophet. He is the Son of God, which is a phrase that means He is God Himself. And believing you may have life in His name. But that wasn't where the disciples were, isn't it? They were afraid, they were scared. And many times, anxiety is, is a good thing because it takes you to, to the next level. You know, you can, you can have anxious moments, and anxious moments, you can, you can just take some, um, you know, people take drugs, they take alcohol, just to numb those anxious moments. But pain's a good thing. Anxiety is a good thing because then you seek solutions to those moments of anxiety. And it's important for us to understand that. It's probably also in the context of Redeemer Life Church, you're probably going through anxious moments now. You know, what about this pastor fellow that is coming? Or felly, you know, it's fellow felly goes along with, uh, with, the, with the word, you, um, uh, what is happening? What is happening? You know, you go to the search committee and say, ah, what is happening? What is happening? Aren't you guys doing your work? Well, it's okay to be anxious because when we are anxious, whether it be in our personal lives or it be in our corporate lives, whether it be in our spiritual lives, or it be in our mental lives, or our emotional lives, or in our corporate lives, whatever it is, that's when we seek God's touch. 
Marys were anxious. The disciples were anxious because they were worried. They thought they would be crucified as well. Wouldn't you be worried? They crucified our Lord. They can take us also and crucify. Tomorrow will be no more and the whole world will not know that we ever existed. They were worried. They were behind closed doors. And you would think that Jesus would come and he would say to them, You scoundrels, where were you when I was crucified? Well, none of you were there except for the Marys, right? And this little fellow, John, but, but where were you? What happened to you? You left me at my moment of deepest despair. He could have been angry with him, them. He could have shouted at them. He could, have, he could have been upset with them. He could have put them on a guilt trip. I mean, he could have done all kinds of stuff, right? But Jesus did not. And, and that's what I call the persona of a non-anxious person. When things lead a community to anxiety or people to anxiety, then one should go into a position of non-anxiousness. What Jesus does is so powerful. He just goes, and the text says, he just goes and stands among them. He just goes there and is just there. He absorbs what they are going through. He sees what they're going through. He's just there. And I think that's one of the things that we need to learn when people are anxious just like the risen Christ did, we probably just need to be there with the people and feel what they are feeling. Absorb what they are going through. Because that's what the risen Lord did. It's not like the friends of Job. I mean, they had... 40 chapters of answers. You're going to this because of this. You're going to this because of this. You're going to this because of this. Come on now, Job. There's something you're hiding from us. Look at all our theology. It's so profound. We have learned it in 40 years of studies. And so we're coming up with this. But Jesus doesn't do all that. He just is among them. Sometimes people call it cool as a cucumber. It's like what I, what I talk about when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm running marathon races. I don't know, you know, some of you have run marathons, right? Marathon races are like this. The first seven miles are hard. You're going, <gasps> no one's talking to each other, you know, because your heartbeat is going up and you're going, you, you, you're, you're really, you think, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, 26.2 miles and the first mile, seven miles are really hard. Once you finish the first seven miles, then your heart comes to a resting state 
and you are what I call cool as a cucumber, and then you go around, you're talking to others, and you say, whoa, this is so nice. And then, of course, you come to the last six miles. You know, that's another ball game. And, and, and so I, I, sometimes, one of, the, one of my experiences was, when I finished Boston Marathon, then a pastor from, um, Mass- from uh, uh, New Hampshire came and picked me up. He lost his way. I was supposed to be catching the flight back from Manchester, New Hampshire. And so he was really, really late. All those Boston streets are horrible. They're not meant for cars, I think. They're meant for horse-drawn buggies or something like that. And so... Uh, he, he was getting late, and now he's on the highway, and he looks at me, and he says, what's wrong with you? I said, why, what's wrong with me? He said, you're sitting there cool as a cucumber. You're going to miss your flight. And um, so I said, I don't know. I have nothing else to do. I mean, what else do you do? If you're going to miss the flight, you're going to miss the flight. Um, but uh, sometimes you can do that, Right? But we can get anxious and go into a tizzy and run at 80, go uh, drive our cars at 80 miles an hour like they do on these highways here. But Jesus goes and he's just among them. He's just among them. And then he says to them something that we may call the destination of the risen Christ. Why did he do that? He did that because he knew peace. He knew peace. Shalom. The word that we talked about. Shalom. It is the state of being in a state of mental peace, physical peace, psychological peace, spiritual peace. He knew that. And that's why he was able to say, peace be upon you. I know you have gone through a lot. I know the anxiety that you have gone through. I know the moments of sadness and awful, awful disarray and disquietude that you have gone through. But I want to give you this shalom. You know, peace is a word that's thrown around a lot. I've been to conferences that are peace-building conferences, and they come up with strategies and all kinds of things, but, but ultimately it seems to me that there cannot be any peace unless human beings have peace with God first. There cannot be any peace because all those peace-making efforts will only be band-aid treatments. The only peace that's a lasting peace is a peace that first begins with God. And when the community experiences peace with God, that's a lasting, what I call a thick peace. Otherwise, it's only thin pieces of peace. I'll break apart. Jesus says, peace be upon you. And Jesus uses that so often towards the end of his life. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. 
Do, do, do not let your heart be troubled. Yes, there's going to be a lot of hot, bad stuff in the world, but I want to give you a sense of peacefulness because I am peace. So throughout the last days and the last hours of his life, Jesus knew what his disciples needed. And he kept repeating that word. In this chapter itself, peace be upon you is repeated three times because Jesus knew that different kinds of people needed different kinds of peace. And perhaps you're going through anxious moments, whether it be in jobs, or it be in your family, or it be just where you are with your kids, with your Parents, would you come before God and say, Lord, I need your peacefulness. I need your peacefulness. Sometimes in the context of the church, there is disquietude because we think that we have to solve all the problems of the world. Well, it's not our business to solve the problems of the world. If we are losing sleep over whether it be church or it be anything else, we are going in the wrong direction. We have to come before God and say, I want your shalom, Lord, because you alone can bring shalom. You do it. Jesus said, peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. And then notice the next thing that he does. As soon as he says that, we are in John chapter 20. As soon as he says that, he's standing there among them. Peace be upon you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Or I, I want to just... Um, go to the previous verse there. Uh, just after Jesus says, Peace be with you in verse 19. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. It seems to me that, that the only way in which one can bring about lasting peace is to become a suffering person yourself. And Jesus showed his hands. He showed his side. And the people saw that here is our suffering Messiah. It seems to me again, here's another principle that we need to, we need to draw from the life of the risen Christ. And it's a hard lesson because sometimes we don't want to hear about things like suffering. But that's, that's the risen Christ's way. That's the way of our Lord. He, he suffered. And he said, the only way in which you can bring about lasting peace is by being a group of people that is able to show your wounded hands and your sides. And so David Yun, when you go to Kenya, or, or when we go to Venezuela, we, we can't go there with, with, with a set of messages because, look, we have the highest medical procedures in, in the United States, and here, have it, 
We can teach you. No, that's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is to be in a position of sufferingness and say, I am here to suffer with you. And that's a beautiful lesson that the founder of that hospital brought about. You know, we, we can come up with medical procedures, but it is only Christ who can do the real healing. And I am here to suffer with you. That is Christian medical science. I'm here to suffer with you. I'm not here with my techniques. Whether it be in psychology or it be in education or it be in any other thing. That's one of the things I tell my students often. We are here teaching you stuff in psychology, in counseling, in, in, in communication strategies, in, in business strategies and all that. But, but the real vocation is to be the suffering church for Christ. Jesus showed his hands and his side. That is the risen Christ's position, position towards a suffering world. And having said that, then Jesus gives them the marathon mission, and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So powerful, isn't it? As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. What a commission! Just like Jesus was born in a manger and saw his mother endure so much, so much suffering. And he, just like God became incarnate to, to die for the sins of human beings, so he is sending us. Anything less than that is not mission. Anything less than that is not mission. He has sent us to be incarnation of himself in the world, just like he is the incarnation of God. So we go there, and we suffer, and we die, and we arise, and we give peace to the world around us, just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. It's being Jesus to the world around us. There's numerous stories that we can read about missionaries. I think the best ones that I've heard are the ones that say, like Sadhu Sundar Singh, or the praying hide. I mean, amazing stories. Or, or the five missionaries that were killed by the Aka Indians. You know, one of the things that's often said about these people is that as soon as... The killers saw them. They saw in them something beyond them. They saw Jesus. That's what brought them to the Lord. Was the face of Jesus upon their faces. And sometimes I wonder when people see us. Do they see Christ or do they see us? That is evangelism when people see us and they don't see us, but they see Jesus. And they're drawn to Jesus. They're not drawn to us. And yes, I believe in education. I believe in 
going to North Park and to Trinity and all these fascinating places. But, but eventually it's not our learning. It's not our ability to do logical thinking and to convince people. Eventually it is people seeing the face of Jesus in our lives. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And then very quickly to a couple of other things. One is, Jesus breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll be talking some more about that. Receive the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything. And then Jesus says something fascinating, and I'll say just a couple of things about that, uh, because there's a lot been written about this. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And then it says, if you do not forgive, they will not be forgiven. Or something like that in the New International Version. I think the New International Version misses the whole point there. It's not about not forgiving. Of course, in the Roman Catholic Church, that's where the idea of going to the priest and confessing your sins in, in this specific location comes from in the confessional. This is about saying, let go. That's what the word forgive means. Let go. Let go. Let go. When you let go, it'll be let go. It will be let go. However, if you hold on to it, then it'll be held on. That's what the literal word means. And so be like Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the Christian demeanor. Like the risen Christ and the dying Christ says, Father, forgive them. So we are supposed to be letting go. One of the most powerful messages that I saw last week was the message of Pastor Roshan. I don't know if you have seen that. Of that church in Sri Lanka when the reporter asked him, so what's your response, Pastor Roshan? He said, we are suffering. People in our church have died. There are people in the hospital who I know are still dying. Yes, we are hurting. Yes, there's anger. But our Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them. So I say to those suicide bombers and their parents and, and whoever else in the community, I say to them, we forgive you. We love you. That is the Jesus way. No matter what happens, forgive. And then the seventh point, very quickly. Of course, there's going to be people like Thomas, right? There's going to be people who will doubt. There's going to be people who would still not accept that. And I've seen that in the church. I've seen that outside the church. It seems to me that the risen Christ's way is to not give up. Is to keep on. Is to keep on. Because one day, just like Thomas said, my Lord and my God... Those people who have been spurning you 
and pushing you away will also say, thank you for leading us to this Jesus, my Lord and my God. So don't give up. So the risen Christ goes to a group of people who are very disappointed, very afraid. It's okay to be afraid. The risen Christ goes and stands with people who are afraid. We must do the same. The risen Christ shows his wounds. We must be ready to be wounded as well. The risen Christ said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And so we must go and forgive and reach out and reach out and reach out. For that is the mission that the risen Christ has given us. Would you pray with me? We're going to shortly partake of this very essential part of the mission that Jesus has given us in the church. This is called the Holy Communion in which Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup, the third cup in the Passover Seder, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. So as we partake in this, my sisters and my brothers, may I ask you the question, where are you in your life? Are you following the precepts of the risen Christ? Perhaps you're afraid. Would you let Jesus come and stand right in front of you, with you, and in you, and say, peace be upon you. Would you receive that peace? Maybe you haven't let go of that thing that you have against your husband or your wife or, or, or your child or your parent or, or, or your sister or your brother or your um, colleague. W would you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to let go. I'm holding on to this for too long. I want to let go. Before you partake of this communion, would you do that? 
And then would you reach out to the Thomases of the world and the Peters of the world and the Johns of the world and say, I found peace. I found peace in Jesus. I offer this peace to you. Would you accept the peace of the Lord? I'm going to invite those